Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And uh, we're recording live at uh, Motofish Studios. So people have asked us a little bit about Motofish because they say, you know, well, Motofish, what does it actually mean? <laughs> well, or what it is. Fish that drive. They, yeah, this is a fish totally. driving studio. Dirt fish yeah. and there's Motofish. Yeah, exactly. no. sure. uh, so Motofish Studios, these guys are, they're like national level film and uh commercial directors, advertisers. And so they have this space that we can use, thank God. And uh, it's available for rent for content creators as well. Think of it like a workspace. If you do a lot of film, uh, they've got this giant studio space and it's amazing. And um, they're also massive car guys, but big, big car guys. So perfect combination for us. And and, uh, yeah, we'll be in and out of here pretty often over the next few months, we think. You can put anything in here. Monkeys, yeah. whatever you want. Monkey. Yeah. yeah, you name it. Yeah. So. That's, that's how I'm saving gas right now. Yeah. And how many miles you put on that thing? So I was laughing because I've been ri- driving it a lot. And my mom, you know, my mom's not a huge fan of motorcycles and never right. has. So this has been an adventure. <laughs> and she goes, oh, you probably got a couple hundred miles on that right now. And I go, no, I've got 2,000 miles on it in a year and a half. Like, and 20 of, bucks worth of gas. 20 bucks worth of gas pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, minus all the modifications. But, yeah, it's been, it's been especially now with... I just put gas in it. And it cost me five dollars, six dollars gas. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And I got, so not a full tank. The last, well, everybody says that about me. I'm not a full tank, but I think the last, the last uh, gallon got me. I think uh, almost 120 miles. So oh, yeah, that's we'll call actually it a win. better than I thought. Even with my big butt. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think your exhaust another month. I, you have my exhaust, don't you? Yeah, you I do. do. I, I put it on. Say, yeah, yeah, that's there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So this week's Carter Automotive Group Tip of the Week. And, uh, ties in directly to our guest and do you have you seen the original international harvester logo no and every time anybody says this is horrible international harvester i think of the country song <laughs> so, yeah, but, yeah. Okay. yeah okay so it's it's literally it's a lowercase i in the middle and a, and a uh, uppercase h okay. and if you look at it the for international I, harvester for international harvester right i can figure that out that's yeah. not very creative yeah. no let's yeah. see if you put the little i in the middle and that's red and the h is black it looks like a little guy riding a tractor. Oh, I, th- I was—I yeah. was thought it may look like a five-speed or whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's what, yeah, it kind of does look like a six-speed. But yeah. anyway, their original logo wasn't that actually. It was, it was a very elegant IHC, but like in nineteen thirties, mid nineteen thirties or something, they swatched swapped to this for the farm tractors, and it survived on. So. I, I am really excited about today's guest because I don't know a lot about these. I know them. I know the scouts, but I don't yeah. know the history a little bit, so I'm excited for this. Yeah. All right. Well, our guest this week is Jake Barba. Jake runs Bulletproof Restorations out of California, and they, they do more than international scouts, for the yeah. record. They, they do a lot more than that, but they specialize in that. He has a very stuff. boring garage that we Yeah, we see. just yeah, got to so see his garage, and it's a, <laughs> I want to be there. Uh, yeah, but he's, he's, been, he's the name in Restoring a Scout. If you go to Restomod Scout, Jake is your guy, and these are not your like backyard mechanic resto mods that we see a lot. You mean us? Yeah. yeah, like what yeah, we would yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. No, this is actually know what you're doing resto mods. Yeah, proper LS swap, top high end interior materials, like customize any way you want. Well, I guess to a point, I guess, <laughs> but um, done right. So if you want to use this thing for towing, you can build it that way. If you want to use it for off roading, you can build it that way. You want to cruise around town, which there's nothing wrong with. I'm not going to mock anybody for doing that. You can build it that way, and you can build a better one for that. So, I mean, because you would want different gear ratios, sure. things like that. So, he is your guy. Jake, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us about what you do. Yeah, your thanks. Own words. Thanks, for, thanks for having me. Um, I think, I mean, you pretty much described it reasonably well. Um, and you also happened <laughs> to mention that something that not a lot of people know about the International Harvester logo, that it is a little man sitting on a tractor. Um, but, yeah, so we basically do a lot of resto mod work to vintage 4x4 with uh, scouts being our primary you know area of expertise we've done a few vintage porsches we've done a few defenders um you know we we do a lot of 
pretty much classics and kind of touch them up with a lot of the old bits with uh, mixed in with a few of the new bits that everybody kind of, you know, loves and needs to have these days with making these cars comfortable commuters or reliable daily Brakes drivers. And power steering. Yeah, brakes and power steering are kind of a big deal. Um, usually those are actually some of the first things we upgrade. Uh, but we build them from the ground up, you know, the chassis up. Basically every nut and bolt is brand new, and we try to take a lot of what was there before and make it a bit better um, just so that you have a car that's going to last you another, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and, and you don't really have to worry about it, and it's still easy to service. Are you, and are you using the, the, the so when somebody brings you a donor car, do you find the donor car? Are you using the original chassis, or are you are you are you sub, substituting something else? Sure. Um, How does that process go? So it's a uh, a little bit of both. Uh, in most cases, what we do is we can find the donor for somebody, and we'll strip the car down entirely, and then we rebox the welds on the original chassis if that's the route we want to go, just to make sure everything's kind of tip top um, and structurally you know proper, and then we bolt everything up to that, obviously with newer suspension, newer, you know, power steering boxes and like all the good stuff, LS motors. Um, and there are a few instances where we have put a JK chassis underneath a Scout. Um, so huh. you get full four-link suspension um, and, you know, modern, if you will, amenities and or accoutrement of what the Jeep JK chassis platform, you know, kind of provides you these days. Um, it's not as common, and we prefer to work with the original stuff, but it's just as good. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said you were one of the first guys to have a Scout with an LS swap, right, driving around the, the California area, correct? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, around in L.A., uh, there was one <laughs> other guy. His name was Steve who had one before me, and he lived in Venice. Um, and I think that I was, I think, around the second or third person in the L.A. area to have one. Um, There's another guy in the Valley kind of far away lives at about an hour or two out of LA that that was one of the other earlier guys that I knew who had one. And now all you guys are fo- are finding each other and the group has grown immensely. I've, heard, I've Yeah. Heard. Um, we've, I mean, there's like 50 or I want to say like 50 or 60 people now in the scout group in Southern California. You know, and then there's like a, a few in the inland empire and you know, the Valley and pretty much all over the Southern California area now, San Diego, there's a ton of guys. And I think, it's nice that these groups are growing and that, you know, we have the ability to get on Instagram or, you know, the internet, if you will, and find each other. Cause it's, you know, always nice to roll in a group of people who are like-minded and like the same stuff you do. So sure. it makes it fun. So let, let's go back a little bit and kind of talk about where you came from and how you got into this. I mean, were you, were you always the car guy, like as a kid? As I, <laughs> as I always say to people, did you have the 10,000 Hot Wheels and the Legos and things like that? Um, I, I mean, I did. I had the Legos and the Hot Wheels, but I wasn't really what I think most people would describe as a car guy. Um, I didn't have my first classic car until, I don't know, like 2010, uh, and it happened to be a Scout. Um, and I was looking actually, originally I was looking for a Bronco and they were just not for me. They were not affordable at the time. They were just too much money for what I wanted and still are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean like, and that's, so that's the thing is like, yeah. they just, they've been, everything's been going up in price, but yeah, it was just, I was out of my price range and my uncle's friend happened to have a scout that he redid. Uh, his name is Henry, super nice guy. And he sold that car to me for $3,500, if I remember correctly. 
Oh man! And <laughs> it, I mean, it needed a few things. A business is born, right? Yeah. It was really yeah. funny. Um, and you know, I, like I said, I didn't really know much about classic cars, and so I had that car for about six months, and it like just ran too low on oil or like leaked or something weird, and the motor blew, and that led me basically to rebuild that whole car, just kind of by accident. Huh. Um, so it just you know it kind of happened, but that's that's kind of how. The, that's kind of how that happened. Did you, do you come from a mechanical background or did you, are you sort of like, this needs to be done. I'm going to teach myself. It was a little bit of both. Um, I mean, my grandpa, I grew up with my grandpa teaching me how to do a lot of woodworking. And so oh, cool. me too. sort of mechanically inclined in that way of knowing kind of how some stuff, or at least the principles of how things are put together. And so I was you know, kind of slowly taking things apart on the car that I just had now. And it was one of those things where like, well, I have this off. I might as well take this off too. <laughs> this off too. And, yeah. you know, next thing you know, like the whole car's apart and, you know, it's like the engine's all apart in the garage. And luckily, so I was actually, I was working uh, with the fire department at the time. And there was a guy there who uh, helped me kind of navigate putting all this stuff back together in the right way and teaching me a few things. Um, and I've been lucky, I think along the way, you know, I've had people who taught me a lot about the business and introduced me to the right people kind of along this journey. Um, cause I was a tech guy. I mean, I sold two startup companies and had an IPO and just kind of retired and getting into the car game professionally was a little bit of an accident. And along that way, you know, I, I'm forever thankful to all of these people. Um, but my buddy Guan, um, you know, my buddy Z, um, these guys kind of really taught me how to put this stuff together the, the way it should be and introduced me to a lot of people who, to some degree, are just artists with this stuff and way better at it than me. Um, so I, I feel like I learned a lot and I'm thankful for those, you know, kind of relationships I made along the way that made this what it is. Sure. Yeah. So, so walk us through the process. Like say I've got a scout and I want to do this. Like a, how do we even go about starting with you guys and like, what's the whole build process like? Yeah. So we get this question a lot. Um, and it's pretty interesting because it's as much as these are all the same, it's really different for every car. Um, and even these donors, you know, like, but basically, you know, the simple ways that obviously you give us a call and we kind of walk through, you know, your seriousness and the nature of either what you have or what you want to do. Um, and we sit down for what we call a design meeting. And basically we figure out all the little tidbits of what you would want to do with this car. You know, I think you guys touched on it before of like, is this going to be a daily driver? Is it going to be a mall crawler? Is it, are you just driving it once a week or once a month? Are you having kids inside? Are you taking it off road? Are you, you know, is this your beach car like what are you doing with this car and from there we basically break down a lot of the pieces and options that you have in terms of powertrain gear ratios interiors paints you know a bunch of the schemes that we go through during this design process and we kind of work out a good configuration for your specific use case and it's not as easy as it would sound that's sometimes why these design meetings take so long but I mean, just the options are to some degree almost infinite. Um, once that design process is done, basically we take your deposit and, you know, there's like almost no timeline here. It's like we work on, I mean, this is just an artist's sort of 
going to going to work right like it's done when it's done um and you know COVID obviously has impacted a few of the things that we've been going through but basically you know i showed you guys a chassis earlier kind of what that looks like but that's how it starts is then so once that process is done and we take your deposit like we go find you a donor car if you don't already have one and you know sometimes that can take a little bit of time because we like to start with a really good foundation so that you know we just have good bones um, and it's in some ways that reduces the cost, the better of a foundation you can get, you know, obviously low rest, straight panels, it reduces time in paint and body work. It reduces time and, you know, having to find little parts that perhaps are missing from some donor cards, for example. Right. So it, it's a little bit of a process even to find a donor. Um, but from there, basically it's full disassembly, sandblast, all the parts, uh, most of the outside and in, you know, inside of the car, uh, the frame, chassis, like the whole nine. Uh, we CAD plate most everything as well. So there's a process for that uh, just to ensure that we're not basically giving you something that will, you know, I, I get that, you know, obviously these cars are old, but at some point they're going to rest. We just try to prevent that as much as we can, uh, especially here in California. Like I think a lot of my clients happen to live in the LA area, kind of close to the beach. Um, so preventing rust is kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, a lot of clients also live on the East Coast where it snows and, you know, you want to drive this outside. So we try to make it as durable as possible with, you know, the CAD plating, undercoating, you know, a ton of ton of stuff to actually make it reasonably reliable. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it's like I said, it takes about, it can take anywhere between a year to, you know, three years to build your car, depending on how you're optioning stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, scouts aren't exactly known for being rust-free to begin with. That's yeah, kind of tough. yeah it's, it makes it makes <laughs> the process pretty tough. But that's why when we break everything down and we tear everything apart, like CAD plating is one of the things that we do to a lot of the stuff uh, that we take yeah. apart after sandblasting. So basically it goes from sandblasting and then we do a kind of thorough cleaning process to remove all the oils and waxes and all the shit that is part of that process. And it goes yeah. straight to CAD and we dip everything in CAD and start bodywork and, and whatnot. Is is there is there a, a genre or not genre? But are there aftermarket parts for these cars like reproductions, things like that, like fenders and like we see in like the you know the British market and the Corvettes and things like that? Sure, um, there used to be. Um, so there used to be this company called Kentrol that used to make fiberglass stuff, and admittedly, the shit just never fit right. Um, yeah. As aftermarket, you said so, fiberglass. I, yeah, right, right there. Like right. Yeah, and so yeah, they went out of business a long time ago. Um, they do make some stuff aftermarket, but body panels are mostly coming from donor cars. And there's a really good company up in Grass Valley, uh, IH Parts America, uh, that has a mountain of parts and stuff for these scouts. Uh, there's another one here in Lancaster, California, IH only, um, who have, you know, a plethora of parts for these scouts and they've been extremely instrumental in, you know, giving us the ability to, to put these cars back on the road. Um, and you know, like oftentimes this is, this is where the kind of the hard part and the heavy lifting comes in is that because they don't make aftermarket body panels, like you're doing a lot of cutting and reshaping in terms of the body and trim and getting these to fit, you know, well and look good is quite a daunting task sometimes. And, uh, even more, they didn't fit from the factory, right. the and that's <laughs> that's the that's kind of the hard part, right? Like some of these are they're built on a Friday afternoon, and you're just kind of like, well, fuck, it is what it is. I guess you know, it's, yeah. 
it's it's tricky too because it's i mean it's the frustrating part for us is that you know you you spend all this time and you you can't tell a client like hey i just spent you know 40 hours realigning your door and right. I, I, yeah. I can't i just it's not something i can bill you for right like it's just so it, it, it there's a lot of give and take there in in the patience that it takes to put these together but that's why some take so long you know it's just like hey like we got to get this right because we want stuff going out the door that looks good and that we're not afraid to put our name on yeah it's funny because people with money at this point if they grew up on cars like um your middle america family cars of the camrys and the accords the panel gaps on those are oddly amazing (laughs) which you would expect because they produce so many of them and they're laser guided literally so when you get to this older stuff and they're like oh it's gonna fit just like this you're like dude have you ever seen one of these before because if you saw it from the factory like i grew up driving a 68 ford and it was like you know the door gap was like you know oh yeah that door leaks and it has it always leaks (laughs) it it wasn't broken it just came from the factory that way bob who was working in the fender department had a bad friday (laughs) yeah he was on a bender that day and so therefore your door doesn't align and it never did and so now they're like what what do you mean it doesn't fit that's yeah there's a there's a few uh, times that we've had to explain that to people, um, you know, and it it uh, it doesn't always go as smoothly as you'd hope. Yeah, sure. Um, but we we try to get it as close as we can, and you know, as good as we can. And you know, I think there's a lot of testing that we do after we get these cars built too. Is, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have suspensions get settled in, and you know, hinges are a little bit you know worn sometimes. So you've got to. Yeah, you got to test stuff as you know. You're, you're not hitting bumps while you're building the car, so you got to test it for a bit after. Yeah, I was gonna say, and one of these restorations, let's say a year to three years, you got to be minimum of, I mean, if I can ask pricing, minimum of probably what 150 to 300. Yeah, we start at about the average, about a, usually about the 130, 140 mark. Um, but yeah, we've built some as expensive. I mean, they they go up quite a bit uh, depending yeah, on I, how you're and, customizing them. But yeah, we're in that we're in about that range. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, well, he was talking hours. about the interior on, on, one, on one of those, and yeah. I worked like Mercedes and Ferrari Alcantara. And, <laughs> yeah. and in my mind, I'm going, oh, that would, I bet that would be lovely. But about the time I got mud on the Alcantara, because <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to roll the window up, which I would do. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, yeah. well, you'd go yeah. probably marine-grade vinyl for a exactly, full-off road yeah, build, exactly. and it would still. Yeah, yeah. It just... Can you rhino-blast the inside of this for me? <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, rhino line, I guess. Yeah. This is so. why I think we take into account what the use case is because I think you'd have yeah, some sure. clients that want to spend the money and to some degree, some of the things they want to spend it on don't always make sense. Um, right. and so I think right now we're seeing a really cool advent of younger folks who now have a little bit extra money to spend, which I think is fantastic, you know, that they're getting into these older cars. But at the same time, they, I think, want stuff that they're used to in modern cars and doing that while getting them to kind of be, you know, reasonably minded about how it's going to be used is not always uh, an easy process. Yeah. I just, if, if I see myself driving a Scout, I'm either pulling like a Chris Craft or like a, an Airstream, I think, in my <laughs> mind. Like, there's just something classic about that. How many did they make? Like, give us a little bit of history on this as far as international and, and Scouts and things like that. Because sure. I know there's several different body styles. There's even, there's, there's Scout, kind Scout of trucks. Two. Yeah, yeah. trucks. Yeah. yeah. So they, I mean, they started with, I mean, as in as early as the 20s, 30s, and 40s, they had a lot of actual farm trucks that were, you know, they even had a horseless carriage or whatever the, you know, kind of how they describe that for a bit of time. 
And these were really just like trucks made for farmers, right? And a lot of times I think that you heard stories of, hey, you know, you buy this tractor and we'll give you this truck for free. And that was one of international sticks. And, you know, that's why you get a lot of folks that didn't really care about these and they just parked them on the farm when they broke down. It's like, oh, whatever, I don't give a fuck, I got it for free. You know, and like to some degree as you would, but at the same time, it kind of pains me to think about it. I'm like, I don't know how many of these are sitting out there on a farm that someone just was like, yeah, whatever, just, you know, let it sit and it's fine. Um, what's, the, what's that deck? Oh, I blacked the, uh, the combine into it. Right. It's fine. Clear some black ribbons, exactly. just find a truck. Yeah. But yeah. It's interesting. So, yeah, so they, uh, in terms of the Scout, um, they started making the Scout in 1961, um, and they made, it's called the Scout 80, um, and basically that rolled into 71, and it ended with, you know, the Scout 800A and the Scout 800B. And there were a different, there were a few different kind of submodels that you can get. And so in the later years, you could get things like the Aristocrat, which had, you know, kind of a different paint scheme and a special roof rack and a different blue interior, um, which is kind of cool. And then they had, you know, like an SR2 with like a special stripe package and, like you know, bigger, um, like bigger motors and like all this other kind of little designators as you would or fun little you know, bits that you would put on special packages, just like you would on most modern cars nowadays. Um, sure. But they they had one, which is kind of my favorite. It's really interesting. Uh, so they had one, it's called the Scout, is is an old Scout, but they is made in the 60s. And they called it a dollop package, and it was a red carpet edition. And so they marketed this to the ladies where it was like a white car with red carpet and full red interior. And they it, it was hilarious. Um, but it's one of my favorites. So many wrong thoughts going it's through. Just, yeah. It's yeah. like, it's just it's shit you can't do time, anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but then, so in 70, uh, 71, late 71, 72, they moved to the Scout 2 platform, which is a little bit bigger. Um, and kind of one of the more common ones that you see now is the Scout 2. And they made that all the way up until 1980. And there were some interesting versions of that as well. So that, you know, they had the Terra, which was a little bit of a truck top and 18 inches longer. So you could have like basically a Scout pickup. Uh, they made the Traveler where you could basically put, you know, all your family and stuff in the back and, uh, they had a travel all too, which was basically like the first suburban, if you will. Suburban, um, yeah. And those were really interesting too because the early ones came with three doors, and it was just one of those like weird, quirky farm things where we're like, yeah, oh, we only need three doors. You know, we're not loading on the left side of the car; we're only loading shit on the other side. So it there was a lot of and here. I thought Hyundai came up with that. <laughs> There's there's a couple of vehicles like that, yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's cool nowadays to see, I think, that there were so many options available at the time. But I think at the time, it was sort of their downfall. Like They had so many options that it was more than what people may have wanted or needed. And nowadays, I think when we get a rare model or you find your bill sheet on the back of the glove box... um, if you're an enthusiast and you you have one of these cars, or you're not an enthusiast, and you have one of these cars. Uh, look in the back of your glove box; you might find a build sheet. Um, huh. But it's it's a fun little thing to find because you get to see how your car was optioned at the factory, and or kind of how the person who ordered it, you know, all the options they put on it. And so it's sure. it's the the beautiful thing for me about a lot of these old cars and just generally old cars is the story that comes with it. 
And I think, you know, the fact that it had a story before me and I'm now just to some degree either kind of a custodian of that story or the guy who gets to add to it is the fun bit. Sure. Okay. So I got to ask, as a man who's seen every all the scouts, what are some of the weird options that were offered on these cars? I mean, besides oh, the yeah. sticker packages, <laughs> like, you know, I know there was weird things that came in these cars. Like, you know, I mean, it's sort of like when Volkswagen put a flower vase on the dash and things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was like... I mean, you had options to like, if you only wanted one sun visor or two sun visors, for example, or, you know, armrests only on the driver's side, but not, you know, excuse me, the driver and passenger side, but not in the rear. Uh, like literally. You'd be uncomfortable. You're going to be out of the car. Just <laughs> like stupid shit like that, where like you could have one mirror, but not two mirrors. You could have, you know, like weird. Uh, Ferrari Testarossa. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's not too far off of like what you'd see on other, you know, Fords and Chevys and and kind of things like that. But the fact that they let you choose, you know, interior packages and you can get a dollop package with a regular truck yeah. or you could get special colors. Like it, not a lot, like I said, not a lot of people were doing this at the time. And it was just a fun, at least to me, I think it's a kind of a fun thing to do, right? Like you can't necessarily, like, unless you're ordering, you know, a, a Porsche from the factory, you know, in some special model with all your trim, like there's only so far you can go. And even then, if you, yeah. you know, pay extra, they'll let you go slightly a bit further, but, you know, it, you're not really getting to do all the cool stuff. That, exactly. Like if you pay an extra hundred thousand yeah. dollars, you get a cool PTS sample car. Yeah. I still will never understand why Porsche charges you more to take the radio out. That one I will never <laughs> yeah, they're understand. They're making the car lighter one... for you, you know? Oh, that's yeah. right. Um, what was that? <laughs> My question went right out. The... Reduce weight and add yeah. I had, I had, I had a question there. Yeah. So that's so interesting. What's the uh, I got it. What's the most extreme build you guys have done that you can talk about? I suppose some clients are very private. I know. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting actually. So I've had a lot of I have some interesting clients who don't let us kind of either post or discuss some of the things that we do, um, right? To an extent, right? Like I mean, we had one guy. He's a reasonably well known kind of eccentric billionaire dude. And so we built this car with like ostrich skin leather and like all sorts of weird shit. And we had it, so we put in a 6.2 motor that had a supercharger on it. We did, like I said, the ostrich skin leather. Um, we had a full, like, iPad as a navigation system, but he wanted an iPad with a MoTeC DAC, like, just all sorts of weird shit. And so the guy comes wow. back, and he drives the car, must have been for, like, 30 minutes or so, like, just test on a test drive with one of, a, one of the guys. Comes back and says, oh, man, that was great can you store it for me for the next year and a half? I got to travel. And that was it. <laughs> it, it was just weird, but like, okay. I mean, we've, we've done some, that was one of the most, I think weird ones we've done. Um, a little bit because of the situation, but also like who gets ostrich leather and like Motec dash with an iPad. Like it was just weird stuff. That's a weird configuration. Yeah, it, like you want to match your favorite cowboy boots that you picked up in Jackson Hole. I it don't was know. very strange, <laughs> but you know, it's like I, you know, I'm to some degree I'm here to fulfill weird requests, right? Like that's part of our job. Yeah, but to be fair, with eccentric people like that, I mean, yeah, why not? In the build process, taking years, the trip could have been planned for a long time. He may have wanted to drive it, right? Long, but no, yeah, or he's got five other builds going on too. He's like, oh, no, I'll get to this one right. when I get back. And what's, yeah. that's the, the whole thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're fine. Um, but yeah, we did another, I think there wasn't really any more unique builds that we've done. I mean, a lot of the builds get, a lot of the things that separate these cars for us are a lot of the interior work. Um, I think that's really 
one of our main game changers in terms of the stuff we do. And like, I mean, even this car sitting behind me, for example, um, one of the bits that I didn't show you guys was that the whole floor is double diamond stitched. It's and it's all leather w- with mm, yeah, I've seen with that a couple just times. floor mats on top of that, right? But like that's something that yep. you see in a singer. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. a couple of my clients have those. And so we take a little bit of the design cues from other companies that we get to work with and or see. And we get to kind of upgrade these cars so that when the clients who have some of those nicer cars and are used to that type of stuff, they hop in one of these and they're like, oh, it's kind of the same thing, which is a little little bit of the goal, right? Like it's hard to kind of marry those two cars, right? Like you have a singer and you have a scout, like these, this is basically a million dollar car and a $200,000 scout. Like it's, there's very little overlap. And I think that's one of the things that we've been trying to do is kind of make that overlap bigger so that people can see that these cars can be nice and, you know, they're, they're still unique and you can have a fun, rugged utility vehicle that is, you know, a $200,000 car. Yeah. I mean, we saw the, the big boom of the, the sixties and seventies, I guess SUVs, as you can call them, and they weren't really at the time over the last probably five years, especially it's, I mean, they've always been cool. See, you've always had guys that were into that. They were kind of a niche scene, though. Because, you know, you had your classic hot rod guys, but they were fixing up hot rod cars. And now over the last, I'd say probably, what, five, to, maybe even longer than that, five, ten years, we've just seen this explosion of Broncos, Blazers. And it's cool to see the Scout coming around because I think it's the most unique of all of them, or at least it's the rarest as far as mainstream goes. We don't say the word Blazer anymore. After what Chevy did with the word Blazer, we don't, we don't <laughs> that call That was a pretty bad what? iteration. What? What came first, Bronco or Scout? So this is actually Be- because a fun I feel one like here. everybody calls them Broncos. Yeah. yeah. So the yeah. Scout yeah. came out in 1961, and and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the first generation Bronco started in '67. Uh, so '67 yeah. to '77 was Gen One of the Bronco, and I, so Ford stole it. Is what I'm so, is what I'm, is where I'm getting to. Yeah. The way that I have read the story, and it's been told to me by some of the old timers, is that when the Scout came out in '61. Ford discreetly bought some, and then if you kind of look at the design and the dimensions of the Ford, you'll notice that they're very, very, very similar to the dimensions of... paste. It literally was a copy (laughs) of paste, right? Um, So that's the way I think it was designed. So this guy named Ted Ornis designed the Scout uh, a long time ago, and... Rumor has it, again, this is just unsubstantiated rumor that you hear from some of the old guys at the factory or wherever. Um, Allegedly. Is that they were, yeah. him and the guy at, the design guy at Ford were, I had had spoken at some point. And, mm. you know, I guess, you know, you don't know how ideas form or get started or this, that, or the other. It's a interesting thing. Or how much whiskey was involved when they were exactly. talking. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, the scout came first and... You know, to a lot of people, uh, I think it is really the first actual SUV in terms of what we are familiar with an SUV to be. Um, if you're not talking about some of these older travel walls and old, you know, kind of station wagons or whatever it, it is. Yeah. No. It's the first real SUV. Right. Yeah. Four wheel drive, low range. Yeah. yeah. Like it was a, it was a utility vehicle, right? And, a, you know, Scout was the first to do it. Well, and like you said, I feel like a lot more scouts, whenever time I see a scout, I mean, minus some that have been restored, they are. They're sitting on a field or they've been on a farm for the last 30 years. They've been used. A lot of Broncos were used to 
bob around in the mountains uh, with your your girlfriend yeah. Barbie. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Up to the I feel, I feel like the scouts beach, were more. I mean, obviously they were they were sold this way. They were yeah, they were meant to be more work work I mean, oriented. They're, they're, the they're farm jobs. Like if we're yeah. just yeah. down to brass tacks, like I mean, 100%. it was to some degree, you know, and not for not you know not for having I guess a better set of words, but it was it was a blue collar kind of working man's truck. And it's nice, yeah. I think, to see them back on the road. And like, I mean, we have one we use as a work truck, but I think it's nice to get them back to their, to some degree, their intended purpose, but also kind of nice to see them dolled up. Now you were talking about that. And I had heard that before about the fact that some of these were given away as like buy a tractor, you get this kind of thing. Yeah. Did they build them as just sort of that reason initially, or, or were they trying to build a farm truck? No, I think they were trying to build a farm truck and something that was a little bit more utilitarian with a scout specifically. Okay. Um, some of the pickups and some of the scouts, because they were available from dealers at the time, uh, were given away as sort of dealer incentives. Like you'd see now, or, you know, you get your $5,000 off if you come buy a car on Sunday or whatever it is. <laughs> um, I think it's a similar thing where they're like, Hey, come in and buy a tractor. We'll give you a scout for free, or we'll give you a pickup sure. truck or something that you can use with your tractor on your farm. Yeah. So I remember... Somebody posted an old ad. I was looking at international stuff for the fun of it. And there was like a picture of a scout on the, on the bed of like an oversized, like logging truck. And if you got the massive logging truck, it was in the ad. Like it comes with it. Right. That's so like cool. a set. Like it was like a toy set, but it wasn't a toy set. It was an actual full size <laughs> truck. And so that was, it, the, that was their monkey. That was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fair enough. yeah. yeah. Fair. Kind of funny, man. It's like, there's an incentive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're still going to be paying a lot of money, but I mean, to get something like that, you know, that's, you know, that's a needed thing, especially for a yeah. farm. So pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Um, so talked a lot about scouts, of course, and I, we did mention at the beginning of the show, you guys restore more than that. And I saw, you know, you've got a, a Corvette in there, a land, uh, a land, Rover. Yeah. land Rover. Yeah. And then uh, what do you, what else do you guys do as far as like other restoration work and things like sure. that? So we do, I mean, generally vintage four by four is kind of our big thing. Um, and we've yeah. done a few vintage Porsches and a few vintage Corvettes that we have here at the shop. Um, a lot of that came from guys who had stuff with us and basically were like, Hey, I have this Porsche too. Can you do this thing? <laughs> and yeah. you know, it's like, fuck, all right, well, he's a good customer. So like, yeah, we'll, you know, take <laughs> care of it. Um, yeah. but we've, yeah, like we've done a couple defenders that came out pretty cool. We've done a few of those that have been LS swapped. Um, the Porsches are not, all, uh, you know, all LS swapped or kind of in, in that range. They all have, you know, it's been done. I was going to say, been done. that's a fun idea. It, it is a, I, <laughs> yeah. I, we've yeah. been toying with the idea of kind of doing sort of a, you know, older, like a long nose RS inspired LS swap here at the shop. And we're, we're, you know, we're tinkering with that. But to your, to your question, yeah, we basically do vintage four by four. So we do Defenders, we've done Porsches. Um, we have some basically C1 Corvettes here that are getting done. And we're actually right now, we're building a 1955 Bel Air with an LT4, supercharged LT4. There you um, go. Curry axles all around. We're kind of, you know, just redoing literally every bit of the car. And we're actually working with a shop down the way, Ace Automotive, um, to get that done. Um, and so that should be back from dry ice blasting, I think, next week. I love that technology. I know. What 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 came in the scouts out of curiosity engine wise? Like what were they what was powering? Yeah, so there there were a few different that they had a slant four, which was I mean this thing is it's a one ninety six and this thing is just 
you can literally probably pedal your bicycle faster than this thing can move. Um, (laughs) They they had an inline six. uh, So in some of the earlier ones, uh, that was basically an AMC inline six, and some were an international inline six. And then they moved to the V8 platform, which was a 304, a 345, or a 392. Um, And those were all internationals version of the V8. And I mean, they provided reasonable power, but nothing like you would get in, you know, the Chevy V8s or a Ford V8. I mean, like a 302 Windsor versus a 304 International, they were just, I mean, they were just designed completely differently. And you could basically use the Ford motor as a hot rod motor. And this International basically was always going to be a fucking tractor. It didn't, it did like, it didn't matter what (laughs) you did to it. It's just, you, you. You're driving a glorified tractor at this point. No speed, but a little bit of torque. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah okay. it's shocking. The tractor company made a tractor type motor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was their but, thing, right? But we see that. And yeah. so, I mean, we 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 so yeah. But that was those, those were basically the options you had. So you slant four inline six, or you know, one of probably three or four V8s that, depending on how you option the car, that was what you got. Sure. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day about. They asked me. Random question. They said, what do you think the coolest motor ever made is? I said, well, so there's cool motors and there's the motor you do, you want. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's, there's cool things about a rotary engine, but you don't actually want one if you've driven anything else ever. I mean, there's cool things about well, it depends on how you define cool, right? Like if somebody asked me yeah. that question, I, I think I, I mean, I'd, I'd probably say something like a 350 small block and only because That's... like it's been the most commonly used motor since 1955 and the small block that they've based it on is still in existence. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you start to think about stuff like that, it's kind of insane that they can do that for so long. And it's still one of the best platforms that you can use on literally anything, anything like, yeah. And so that's what I came back to is I said, you know, you can knock or you can knock the base, the basics of the motor as long as you want the push rods or whatever else there's to it. I said, but if you want something that just works, you just kind of end up always going back to a Chevy small yeah. block. Whether it's a brand new one like uh, an LT4, which is bordering on a big block, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean they're yeah. huge now. I mean, six point two. It's yeah, LT4 six point two supercharged. Yep. And then, um, but I mean, even the most basic Chevy pushrod does the job in just about anything. And they actually get decent mileage for what they are, and they get great power for what they are. And yeah, there's going to be better use case specific motors, but I would. I'd throw an LT4 in my six in my Raptor and get rid of my 3.5 V6 <laughs> any day of the week. I would love to have my Z06 motor in my Raptor. <laughs> I, I like the new Coyote from Ford. Yeah, I think, I think it's been great. a great motor. I mean, yeah. it's stupid to put it in one of those Cobra replicas. I'll tell you that. But, <laughs> Is it though? I mean, uh, somebody like, who was pulled over doing that. No, they're just terrifying. <laughs> they're just, absolutely, there's nothing. It's about awesome, yeah. but they're just terrifying. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not tall, and my my knees hit the dash. So yeah, just, but uh, yeah. The cop didn't think it was that funny. But yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, yeah. but I mean, we, there's a lot of companies out there that I mean, obviously that have tractor motors. I mean, the Triumph was one of them because oh, it yeah. has remo- removable cylinders and things right. like that. So you see that. I mean, and it makes sense that they would be able to make their own engines. But you said they were using some AMCs. Or, yeah, so right? uh, I, I once had a car basically. So it was a Scout, but it came with an AMC inline six like from the factory. And I think, you know, that, that was another thing that International was known for is that they did actually use parts from other manufacturers to make their cars. And mm-hmm. okay. it's interesting, I think, nowadays when we're redoing a lot of these stuff, 
you know, you'll see, you know, small little part numbers come up and you're like, oh, that's the same as a Dodge, but just with a different part number or like, <laughs> oh, that's the same as this, but same thing with a different part number. And it's interesting how you come across that, you know, as the, as the time goes on and, and you just look at these two different part numbers and you, you'd swear they up and down, they were the exact same part, just with a different logo. Sure. I mean, that's still a common practice. Is oh, I mean, Subaru Toyota? I mean, dude, for BMW oh, Toyota, yeah. Aston Martin, yeah, yeah. Martin does it yeah. with Ford. I mean, like this was a common yep. thing, like yeah. Maserati, you know, and Dodge, like Dodge, all, like yeah. all of these things are the same. Like, on that. It's hilarious to me sometimes. <laughs> like you get in your Aston Martin and you're like, this has Ford window switches, and it's shit that probably yeah. not a lot of people would notice. But if you've been in one of each, you're like, this feels really shitty. Why did you do this? <laughs> or, you, or you get it? Or you get it? Hypothetically, you get in your Ghibli, and the uh, dash is a from a Dodge Charger. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. I mean, it's like and the Lamborghini and Audi. I mean, it's it's a common thing. And so, like, oh, yeah. I, it's interesting. It's just interesting to see, I guess, that happen then and still happen now. Uh, there was that joke: if you have a Lamborghini Gallardo and you need brakes, you get them from Audi. If you and if you have a drill press, you can save yourself a thousand bucks because all of this is the set screw. 100%. Pretty much, you just drill press the rotor. <laughs> okay, so I got a, a, a personal question. We have friends that ha- that do this kind of stuff in the Pacific Northwest, and I feel like this happens. They they end up building cars like this, and they build their own personal car, and then a client comes in and goes, "Yeah, I want that one." Are you the type of guy that would sell that? Like, do you have your original Scout? Or no, no actually, so I'm. I don't have my original Scout, so I sold both of them. Um, the first one I had that I told you got, that I got for $3,800, I fully restored. And some guy stopped me downtown and was like, I need this car. Like, is it for sale? And I basically just gave him the fuck you price and he paid it. Like, no, no questions <laughs> asked. was just like, win-win for here's, you. Here's yeah. a fucking check. Um, yeah. And then the second <laughs> one I... And you know where to get another right. one. Yeah, yeah sweet. Um, but yeah, the second one I had after that... I don't know. These are really hard to find. <laughs> um, yeah, so the second one I had after that... Um, I actually sold, that was one of the, the one I had LS swapped at first. Um, and the company that did that one was actually what sort of started Bulletproof. Like I, Bulletproof kind of started as a spite business. Um, but I was gonna ask you about that, how Bulletproof started and how you got the name. I do want to hear that story. I'll, we'll get there in just a second. Um, yeah, I, yeah, sorry after this, so yeah. I sold that car to a buddy of mine and actually I probably sold it cheaper than I should have. Um, but he's a nice guy and he's, he drove the car. So I was really kind of happy to see someone else kind of care for it. And I was ready to move on to the next thing. Um, you know, and I've had a bunch since then, but I'm one of those guys that personally, like everything is for sale, obviously for the right price. And it's just like, it, I know sure. it's going to take to build it. I can not necessarily marry to it. I think my thing is that if I sell the one I'm currently driving, I think that my problem is I want to build the next one better. And so mm-hmm. I like to see the iteration of progress that kind of what we can do and like, all right, how far can we actually take this kind of thing? And to some time, some, to some degree, it's nice to sell it so that I can see what I can do next. But that's kind of my take. Yeah, on. I don't think International thought they were going to have an iPad. In the so, you know, <laughs> whatever's new. So, yeah. so as Dan said, where did Bullet, where did the name come from? You said you kind of did it in spite. Yeah, um, this is actually a real life spite business. Um, so <laughs> one of those. Uh, the, the, the second, one of the second or third scouts I had, um, basically I sent it out to have this company LS swap it and they're a bigger name in the game. Um, and they kind of messed up a few things or didn't do it necessarily what I thought would be to industry standard or to spec. And so I had to send it back to them a few times and it still wasn't right. And so I finally ended up fixing it myself. 
and you know it was kind of a whole thing and that was kind of how it started and that was like sort of the origin story if you will of this business and it was slow from there where i was kind of just like all right i'll you know kind of do a couple things for my friends who have them or you know kind of my close-knit circle and so then shortly after that a friend of mine needed a job at this company called omaze and oh yeah yeah um so the woman i since i was in the tech game and i was at this time retired um i knew somebody who worked there and got this woman an interview and so from there i was like all right look i can get you in for the interview but from there it's on you um so she got the interview she got the job and then got us a contract to do the omaze build so we did a scout for omaze cool. and after that things kind of just blew up um so when was that i, I, I remember like, that i was gonna say i i, I always follow the omaze cars when they're yeah going. When i think that? it was uh so we started having that conversation late 2019 and it didn't really come into fruition until like january 2020 around that time we started building that car um and then we, it was on the site, I think for auction around September of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we built that car in a really short period of time and it was insanely nerve wracking. Um, and there was a lot of kind of funny things that happened along the way. Um, so one of the guys I had mentioned earlier, my buddy Guan, you know, he was extremely instrumental in helping us build this car and like kind of just full on absolute mentor status on kind of how we got a lot of things done in such a very short period of time. Um, and another guy, Chris Marion, were very instrumental in building this car and helping us get parts during COVID and kind of, you know, connecting us with some of the right folks that kind of got this done. Um, and I mean, a ton of the other sponsors, I mean, we had BF Goodrich helping us, Titan 7 helping us, Beltec suspension. Like, I mean, we just, we were able to put things together with some of the people that we knew either from the tech industry and or from the car industry now that we knew through these two people I just mentioned. Um, but I remember this clearly now because I remember seeing the scout and I was just, it caught my eye cause you don't see scouts. And then I remember the wheels for some reason. I remember the wheels. I was like, how did they find wheels for that? Yeah. So cause that I, was a wild, a buddy of mine had one and he never find wheels. Absolute roller coaster. Um, Right, you just gave him a heart attack. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it was really funny. So, uh, like I said, so Chris Marion was instrumental in connecting us with the guy Eddie, who owns Titan Seven, and so they made a wheel that was Jeep specific. And the Scouts and some of the Jeeps have the same bolt pattern. But what we, I had my buddy Chris do the measurement and oh. the hub measurement was slightly off so we had these cool wheels that now we couldn't use and we were running a little tight on the deadline so we had to get a full set of prototype wheels that we put on the scout for the photo shoots and those wheels were slightly machined out for all the photo shoot and kind of the productions with the then real wheels the actual production version to get put on after the shoot was done and after the car was built um there was a whole bunch of interesting stuff like that that happened with that car and i think the behind the scenes of all that stuff is more interesting than the actual finished product um and i mean even just the bumpers on that car for example is an absolutely just fucking hilarious story that i don't think anybody knows minus uh the guys that were at the shop 
Um, so we have these bumpers made actually from a company in the Pacific Northwest and they were just fucking hot garbage. Like just, they absolutely <laughs> fucking suck to the point where we literally, I, we were that close to being cool. In the I, know, I know. Sorry. Cool. Sorry. Um, and so <laughs> you're good. We just couldn't use them. I was like, this is not something I want to put on the car. And we just, I couldn't even sell them after. Like I just threw them away. And so <clears throat> the problem was, is that the bumpers that we, to some degree had gotten from this company were really, they, they got delivered really close to our timeline. And so it was like within two weeks or something of the time that Omaze was literally going to pick up the car. And it was like a drop dead date. Like it had to be ready like on Wednesday at noon or something. And there was no fucking exceptions. Like we're picking the car up and it's shipping out. So two weeks prior to that, I'm like, fuck, like there's no one that can make me custom bumpers in time. So I ended up calling um, this guy named Randy. So if you have a scout and you need some bumpers, call Randy at GRC. Um, and he special made us some bumpers within two weeks. Now, the funny part of the story is that it was so close to the timeline that they would be made and delivered that I literally had to fly someone out to Georgia where he's based, rent a car, pick up the bumpers and drive back with them in two days so that we could make the deadline oh, God. because freight shipping wouldn't get there in time. So I right. literally had two weeks to get the bumpers made, get them shipped and delivered to LA. And so my buddy Sergio who drove out there, or excuse me, who flew out there and drove back, got them there literally like on Wednesday, like at 10 o'clock, two hours before we had to put this car on the transport. And so like the moment he got them delivered, we're basically like ripping these boxes out, you know, and kind of putting all the shit on and literally with must've been half an hour to spare, put the new bumpers on and got it shipped out. See, that's how you hope good car build televisions, <laughs> sure. but it's never yeah. that way. It, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> It's a literally a true story, but like none of this stuff ever goes the way you plan. And I think, and this is the problem, you know, to some degree with deadlines, right? Is like sometimes you order a product and it's not the way it's going to be when you get it and touch it and actually feel it. And you're like, fuck, now I have to get something else, but I don't have time to. And so that was one of the precipices for us kind of moving away from deadlines and just saying like, look, when your car's ready, like your car's ready and it's not going to leave before yeah. it's done. Which I think people have become, thankfully, more accustomed to due to COVID. They're like, we get it. Like, stuff just takes longer. It's harder, yeah. hopefully. Well, I mean, not always. I mean, we have, we've had a couple of customers who literally just, they don't understand the process of what it takes to build a car. And you're, you're like, you have to kind of discuss and finesse that situation. Um, yeah. But most mostly people understand that, like, nowadays that, you know, parts are a little bit harder to get and they're not as readily available. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff on this car that it gets made or has to be remade and that process is not always the fastest right but i mean people are used to seeing these shows on tv where shit gets built in a week and you're like oh they did it on tv like in two weeks overhaul and did it in seven yeah. days so you can do it in six yeah, right? yeah. like all right well you know like yeah. all right we yeah, cool for two million dollars i can do it in six days no problem absolutely like, whatever you want exactly. you know and so it's one of those sure. things of like you know that old saying of you know you can get it done quickly you can get it done cheaply or you can get it done good and you can get you know you get to pick two of those things and like that's yeah. it yeah do you want pit my ride results <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> yeah. 
Well, like you were saying earlier, I mean, you can run into something where all of a sudden you're taking 40 hours to realign a door that has to be done right. right. But you can't you can't express that to the customer. You can be like, you know, there's going to be setbacks, but we don't know where they're going to go. Right. And that's I think that's the hard part, too. I mean, you know, when we find some of these donors. Half the time, you know, these farmers were fixing shit themselves on the farm with what they had. So I don't often know, you know, like what's underneath layers of floor or, you know, you'll find cars that were originally blue and now they're, you know, yellow. And like, it's just like, oh, we thought panels yeah. matched and they didn't, or, you know, it's just a whole mismatch of parts, but whether the farmer did it or the factory did it, like, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't know. So. Yeah. This floor was made by warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> and John, and John Deere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's John Deere green to match the tractor. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Oh, where do you want to see? Uh, where do you want to see you guys go? Do you have like a vision for your business that you want to see, or a project you're dying to? Do? Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, like, I think I've been I've been lucky in the short time to I think achieve the success we have with this business. Um, yeah, and I think you know one of these pinnacle moments of where I used to see us going even in the early days i mean we were recently in rob report and uncrate and a few other you know pretty big publications and it was a really kind of surreal moment for me because i kind of grew up reading this stuff and to now be in it is a little bit you know it's 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 just weird and so i think now i want to see us be able to compete with some of the you know, better names in the industry. I mean, you have guys like Icon putting out some of the most beautiful cars that I've just ever seen in my life. And CNC machine, like, everything. It's yeah. nuts. <laughs> and, you know, for us, even at the time, like we had a car on Omez with Icon at the same time. Like our product was to some degree, like, you know, it was getting compared with theirs, like in the same picture on Omez. And even that was like just mind blowing. I'm like, holy shit, like this is, like it's a real like this is a real thing but yeah. i think to be as well known would be fun but at the same time i get scared thinking about what that would mean to like scale the business to that big now i need more employees i need you know to have you know bigger spaces we have to speed up timelines we have to get more like uh, I, it's just sort of a thing now that i'm just taking kind of day by day i'd love to see this be like a huge fucking thing and you know people are buying t-shirts and hats and all the shit that you'd see but i kind of like to some degree this being a medium-sized business where we still get to take our time and we get to interact with customers and have this be a kind of just a more interactive process well scaling in your business is tough because there's we've seen hundreds of businesses out there that have done it and the quality goes away that's yeah. the first thing that goes down the drain and it's and tough. that's my fear right it's like I, you know, some of these, the test drives that we're doing on some of these cars that we come out, like I try not to give the car back to the customer unless it's had, you know, almost a thousand to 2000 miles of test driving just because shit always happens. Like it doesn't matter. Like it, every car does something happens. Yeah. And there is a process obviously, but it's, this isn't exact science. You know, like there's things that just happen when you're building a car by hand from scratch with parts that you have to make. It's, you know, it shit happens. 
let, yeah. al- let alone where you're like, oh, it's done, but I'm not. I got to put some miles on it, so you can't right. drive it. And you know, yeah. it's funny. She's like that. We've had some clients like, oh, what do, you, what do you mean I can't drive it yet? And you're like, well, you know, like this is kind of just how this process goes, right? <laughs> I'd rather it break with me so that you don't get mad at me if you're right. out driving around. And, and when, you, when you explain yeah. it like that, it's kind of a more smooth, you know, kind of receipt of that message. Um, yeah. And we know we have some clients that are cool and like they like to test drive their own stuff. You know, we have one repeat client who's, I mean, he's done a bunch of cars with us and he just likes to drive his own stuff, but he's also really cool when things go wrong. And it's like, Hey, I, I understand yeah. this is part of the process. I'd like it to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you're like, okay, we'll go back and adjust that stuff. Let us know what you think and just go to town. Yeah. And I'm not going to diminish anything with Icon at all. I've seen the oh, work firsthand. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, amazing. It's, it's incredible. It's but- fucking mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they're also working with you know how many Land Cruisers are built as their main product line is being right. Land Cruisers, and they do other stuff too. But I mean, it's like the resources they have that come oh, with dude, that are nuts. you can still find brand new panels from Toyota. Yeah. They're actually not that hard to find. Relatively. And that's the I think it it yeah. makes their job slightly easier, and they fit. But I don't think it 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 makes the job slightly easier. But I don't think it um, sort of. It doesn't at some point as well, right? Like getting it to fit the way they do it is obviously a huge process. But also I think oh yeah, the vendors that they have access to is one thing. But I will say, so I, I was lucky enough to speak with Jonathan Ward a couple of times. And he's actually so nice that like he's one of those guys that like he sometimes breaks down his process for you. And I've never encountered anyone in the industry, you know, as nice and kind of even just having conversations with him who are open to doing that. You know, a lot of people don't share their vendors or they want to hide stuff. And to some degree, he's the opposite. And it's, and it lends to the, you know, the kind of what he's putting behind that product is just like a pure, authentic, 100%, just like, this is me. I just like nice stuff and I'm going to just do my own thing. And it's great. Yeah, Christian von Koenigsegg is the only other person Same, that comes to yeah, mind. Absolutely. If you ever have a chance to talk to him, he's one of the most open people you ever talk to. It's, it's great. It's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's yeah. it's so refreshing, right? And you're just like, wow, this is like this is just yeah. so nice. Like this is cool. And like, you know, now we get some of our parts 3D printed at the same place that Jonathan Ward does. And, you know, because he was nice <laughs> enough to share one of his vendors with us, that now we go, you know, use some of the same parts, right? And you know, a lot of these cars do come down to the finish. And like that's where you kind of make or break your product is you know how nice is the stitching on your interior what do your knobs feel like and just dumb stuff you can own a land cruiser and a scout i mean it's, it, those are you know like, yeah you should different different, different uh you know build one for cruising build Absolutely. one for off-roading i don't know pick a pick. fair enough yeah fair enough right yeah. uh Good stuff man i uh this has been great i really really enjoyed this and thanks for showing us your shop yeah. earlier uh Listeners, viewers, we don't uh, not too many viewers, but uh, we will we will post we will plaster the Avance page with photos. So I will, Jake, send us all your good stuff, and I will make sure our listeners can see the the beauty of your <laughs> okay. work because I've seen the Rob Report article and some other things, but man, it does not do it justice. I'd love to see some close ups, things cool. like that. And share those yeah. out. Also, if you start making shirts and hats, I'm in. Yeah, he's got we, a few we have on a, there. They're, they're no, sold yeah, out at the yeah. moment. Actually, I uh, so uh huh. We uh, that, we yeah. uh, <laughs> I think we we only made like 500 or something like that of each design. That's great. And so we didn't. I like the horseshoe uh, logo Thank you guys you. have. Yeah, cool. there's a, yeah. Yeah. a buddy of ours, Max Vandenberg. Nice guy. But he designed that logo for us and came out pretty good. Cool. Good job, Max. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And like Dan said, showing us around. And um, we can't wait to see more coming out of Thank the Thank you, guys. Yeah. And uh, we'll, I was going to say, you guys have like 30,000 followers on Instagram. But I'll, make, I'll pick, make sure to post the links for the Avance crew. Uh, all you guys can check that out. I'll have all the links in the, in the cool. page. So. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, well, as for this episode of the Avance podcast, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.